Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Great Loop Radio, brought to you by America's Great Loop Cruisers Association. We're dedicated to sharing Great Loop information and inspiration with those actively cruising, planning for, or dreaming about a Great Loop adventure. This is Kim Russo. I'm the director of AGLCA. Today, if you are listening with us on July 21st at 10 a.m., we are coming to you live. And my guest today is Chris Keeley. Chris is the assistant director of communications with the Northern Ontario region of the Canada Border Services Agency. And we are going to be talking with Chris about what to expect um, as you're entering Canada. Uh, We'll be focusing specifically today, I believe, on Americans. But if we have some time, we will get to um, some others who may be entering Canada as well and if the procedure is any different. Before we start the conversation with Chris, though, I do want to take a moment to recognize and thank our Admiral sponsors who support AGLCA at the highest level. They are Curtis Stokes & Associates, Dog River Marina, Passage Maker Trawler Fest, Skipper Bob Publications, and Waterway Guide Media. As always, we ask you to support these businesses that support the Great Loop. And with that out of the way, I'd like to go ahead and introduce Chris Keeley. Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Kim. And we really appreciate you you being here because we always, this time of year, get a lot of questions from our members as they're getting ready to cross from the U.S. into Canada. Um, I actually had the opportunity to do it myself a few weeks ago and found it to be a very friendly and a simple process. Um, But we do like to cover the basics for everyone because, as I said, it leads to some concerns every season. So, But let's start. If you can tell us a little bit more about the Canada Border Services Agency, your involvement, and, and really what's the mission of the CBSA? Well, our mission is to protect uh, the prosperity of Canada by managing the border and the people and goods that come uh, through our borders. Um, that's basically the, the, the mandate in a nutshell, I guess. Mm-hmm. And, and I think what our members probably, if they're concerned about this process, probably should remember that at least most of us find that Canada is very welcoming to boaters, and I think you actually appreciate us coming um, as Americans coming by boat, so um, it's a wonderful part of the Great Loop. Tell us a little bit about, as, as our members are preparing to enter Canada on their boats, what's the most important thing they should know about what they need to do to correctly report in? Well, probably the most important thing is they should be aware of the rules, first of all, so educate yourself and uh, as we like to tell uh, travelers and, and certainly voters of all stripes, is to plan your border crossing as much as you can, and that will certainly assist uh, how quickly you can perhaps be processed. Um, tell us a little bit, we, you know, what, what can we do to plan that border crossing? What are the steps we should take as we're planning that? Well, for example, uh, just last year we introduced uh, a new process where you can pre-register your travel by going on the website and using an email address. And through that process, you provide the full legal name, the date of birth, the travel document that you're using, the type of document, so that could be passport, it could be an enhanced uh, driver's license, for example, and the expiry date, and you mail that to us uh, in advance, uh, up to 24 hours in advance of your trip. We will 
take the data and enter it into the system so the following day or whenever it is you you plan to come within that 24 hours we already have that information locked into our system so that will speed up the telephone reporting process for you and the data will be able to be displayed right on the screen for the officer that you're dealing with at the telephone reporting center so that's something okay. that I would certainly okay. recommend that people use it's it's as simple as sending an email with the data for all of the people on your on your vessel and it will it will speed up things particularly at times when we have uh, you know higher call volume Okay, so if you do have the opportunity to kind of um, pre-register with that information, um, you can do that. And what that's going to save you is, is when you make that phone call checking in, you won't have to read all of that to the, the right. uh, person on the phone, correct? That can be, you know, a little time-consuming depending on the number of people in your party on the vessel. So, mm -hmm. again, as simple as sending an email if you're able to do that, uh, it can be a real time saver. Okay, and I, if I'm remembering correctly from your website, that email address is pretty lengthy. So I don't know if that's something that you can easily give to us, um, speaking it rather than it, emailing not, it. You know. It's not very uh, marketable, I'll, I'll say that much. Um, but if uh, your listeners want to go to the website and just look for, a, do a search perhaps, of pre-registration of travel for boaters, uh, mm -hmm. That page will come up, and the link to the email address is on that page. Right. And um, for our listeners, if you are an AGLCA member, yesterday I, or possibly the day before, I did post to our forum um, just kind of sharing my experiences, which is certainly not an official recognition of how this process works, but I did kind of tell you how we went about it, and I did put a link to the web page that Chris is talking about. And right there on that page is the email address. Um, I'll go ahead and post that again today. So if you're listening to this and you didn't see that, I, I can get you a link to that. Um, and I'll also see if I can kind of post it in the description um, on the website here on this um, podcast site so that it can be in the description to make it a, a little bit easier for you all to find that because that pre-registration is helpful. Um, so, Chris, once you've pre-registered, um, or even if you hadn't, have not pre-registered, the procedure once you cross into Canada is the same either way, correct? Yes. Now, uh, recently there's been new legislation adopted, which has certainly simplified the reporting rules that maybe people who've come to Canada in the past uh, will be experiencing this time. Uh, so that now, unless... Uh, only you only need to report now if you uh, touch soil, anchor to boat or swim, or you make contact with another vessel while in Canadian waters, or you take on other uh, people in Canadian waters. Otherwise, if you're just cruising and you happen to stray into Canadian waters because of navigation or uh, seaway traffic, for example, in the St. Lawrence area, uh, you don't have to report. Okay. That is good to know. For most of our members, that those exemptions won't apply because the vast majority will um, tie up in Canada or, or anchor in Canada. Most will spend, you know, a month plus in Canada. So, um, you know, they really are visiting the country and will need to check in. So how do boaters know where to go to report once they've crossed into Canadian waters? Well, again, if they go to the website and they look for marine reporting sites, 
Uh, there will be, uh, it's a very long list, I have to admit. Where they can report to the CBSA and uh, make the phone call at those designated locations. And of course, uh, the, they'll talk directly with an agent at the telephone reporting center, uh, go through the steps of providing the information that's required, and they will get a, uh, a number uh, once they've been cleared. Okay, and, and it is good that that's a lengthy list because it gives it's a list of basically marinas and, and where you can make those phone calls. So it's great that it's a lengthy list because it gives us lots and lots of options. One of the um, uh, points of confusion, I guess, a little bit on our forum this week was how you make that phone call. Um, when I did it a few weeks ago, we actually called from a board on a cell phone. Um, some of our members have been had the experience that they had to use a video phone at those specific telephone reporting sites. Can you comment on that? Is it okay to use your cell phone from your vessel, or is there a, a video phone that you should go to to report? Uh, I'm not aware of any video phones that we have in Canada. I know there okay. are several on the U.S. side. Um, I, I could be mistaken, but I don't recall that we have too many or any at all, for that matter, uh, in, on the Canadian side for our marine reporting centers. Uh, if you're a Nexus member, uh, you can certainly call from a cell phone while on the water. Uh, however, if you're not, you should go directly to a designated uh, reporting site. Okay, but, but so once you've reached a designated reporting site, which are lots of marinas, and you've tied up at the marina, then is the standard procedure to call from your cell phone? Well, in some of those reporting sites, uh, they will have a telephone designated on the dock or near the dock that, okay. that once you pick up, it, it dials direct to our telephone reporting center. If there is not um, uh, a permanent installation there, you can certainly call from your cell phone and uh, follow the, the usual procedures that the, uh, the captain of the vessel would disembark and provide the information for each individual on the vessel and await the clearance number. Okay. And so when you're using the telephone reporting system, does an agent typically come out to the boat or is it typically just a phone report? Well, for most people, they'll find that it's just a phone report, and mm -hmm. uh, if there are no issues, then they will receive a clearance number. In other cases, whether it's for random checks just to ensure that the integrity of the system um, or that there is something that the officers want to examine a little more closely, whether it's the identification of an individual or some other factor, uh, they other than providing a clearance number, they will request that you remain at that site and they will send officers out to clear the vessel and they can at that time uh, examine whatever it is that they have concerns about and in most cases uh, you'll be on your way shortly thereafter. Okay. And if, if you've telephone reported and they've given you the numbers, um, those numbers are to be displayed in a specific spot on the vessel? I don't believe you need to display them on the boat, but you should have that. Uh, the, the, certainly the captain of the vessel would would keep that number okay. written down okay. safe place so that if they are approached uh, by law enforcement uh, while in Canadian waters that they are able to confirm that they have reported and they have received a clearance number. 
Okay. And are the rules different for Americans versus any other countries because of the closed borders we share, or is it the same process if you are a citizen of um, a European country or we have many members from Australia and, and other parts of the world who would be crossing into Canada? Well, if you are a member of any of the uh, free clearance systems such as Nexus, then mm-hmm. it would not be a problem. Um, okay. If you are either a Canadian citizen or an American citizen, uh, you should go directly to a, a reporting site. Okay. I do have one of our members on hold. Um, Ron Matuska has called in since we are live today. And if there are any other uh, members out there who would like to call in with a question, the call-in number is 818-475-9328. But Ron has been holding. He does have a question. Ron Matuska is one of our gold loopers. So he's, he's done the entire route and is on his way around again. Um, and is actually locking through right now. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring him into the conversation. Uh, we're hoping he's still available. But he wanted to ask a question about some of the different experiences he's hearing about this year. Um, Chris, I don't know if you'll be able to answer this because um, I know you're focused in a specific region, but I'm going to bring in Ron and let him ask that question, and we'll see if we can share any information. Hey, Ron, we've got you Hi live there. with Chris Keeley. How are you? Good. I'm here, and I'm not at the lock yet. It's, I missed Misread my chart. We still got to go across Colonel By Lake uh, okay, to get well, great. the lock. Well, let's go ahead and um, ask your question, and we'll see if if Chris has any information he can share on 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 what you're asking about. Okay, I know you're from Ontario, uh, but this year we checked in in, uh, in Quebec on the Richelieu River, uh, where you have to report in person at the dock. Um, this year, um, after we checked in, uh, we received no there's no paperwork. I even asked specifically if you can give me a form because the last time we went through, we did get a form. So we have no form. I have no number. I have no way of showing anyone who stops me, if they stop me, that I have actually cleared customs. Uh, and now uh, another another looper who I know reported that he received a form at the same location um, a few days within when I crossed. So that and that's my question. In the past, also I've not received that number. I checked in by the phone at Kingston Mills Lock uh, after crossing Lake Ontario, and uh, I was checked in, but I was not given a number. So the sounds like uh, every station is a little bit different. Can you comment? Um, I'm not sure why you wouldn't have been given a number or even a form at that location. Um, We would typically give you a number so you have something to demonstrate to another law enforcement agency if there was a question at any time. Uh, the, The upside is that we would have a record of your report within our system based on your interaction with those officers. So if there was a question, we could certainly go back and confirm that you did have a conversation with an officer in spite of the fact that they didn't give you a number. Uh, So that's unfortunate, but we would still be able to confirm that you did make a a report. Okay, yeah, they did scan our passport. Yeah, so that okay. that would be in our system. And again, if you were questioned elsewhere, you would we would be able to confirm through the system that you did make a, a bona fide report. And 
I'm not sure why, just maybe an omission of some kind that the, uh, they did not provide you with either a form or a number, but that is typically what we will do is that you will at least get a clearance number. Thank you very much. Thanks, Ron. And, and so that should put um, some of our members' mind at ease if they d did not receive a number for any reason, and they are still in Canada, if they should happen to um, encounter a law enforcement agent who wants those numbers, it should be traceable back to the conversation you had when you checked in. Um, so obviously when you're dealing with any kind of a, a border as large as Canada, there's probably going to be some minor differences um, or omissions as you're checking in. So um, not to fear, your information has been saved in the database there. So the Canadian uh, Border Services Agency knows that you're there and that you're there legally and you've checked in. We're going to take a quick break and play a message from one of our sponsors. When I come back, I do want to get a little bit of information from Chris on some of the um, items that people always question whether they can or cannot bring into Canada, what regulations are regarding pets and things like that. So we'll be back with that discussion in just a moment. The new MJM-50Z is the most technologically advanced production motor yacht available. First worldwide to incorporate a Seakeeper gyro stabilizer as standard equipment to virtually eliminate roll in ways underway or at anchor. And in June 2015, the first to include fully opening power windshields for control of fresh airflow. MJMs are unique in the industry, built of environmentally clean, stronger and lighter epoxy compounds composites in the USA. Owner benefits are significant. A smaller carbon footprint with 50 to 100 percent better fuel efficiency. A top speed with optional triple IPS 600s of 40 knots and crews of 35 knots. A more responsive, enjoyable driving experience and greater safety offshore. For more information, visit them on the web at www.mjmyachts.com. We're back on Great Loop Radio. My guest today is Chris Keeley. Chris is with the Canada Border Services Agency, and he is the Assistant Director of Communications for the Northern Ontario region, which is where many loopers will enter Canada. Um, so we've talked a little bit about the process for checking in. Let's shift now, if we could, Chris, to some of the requirements about um, specific things that boaters may want to bring into Canada. Um, and many loopers travel with pets. So tell us if there are any restrictions on pets that can be brought into Canada. There really aren't many restrictions on pets. Um, certainly uh, some of the more exotic pets maybe uh, could be subject to things like quarantine, and I'm thinking more of the reptile nature or really uh, exotic birds. But if they've been in their possession and been um, with them in the U.S. for some time, it typically is not a, an issue for um, pets such as dogs and cats, uh, you know, you should carry uh, any kind of documentation that demonstrates ownership or vaccinations of that animal. Uh, dogs under three months require a document with the proof of age. Uh, a veterinary certificate of health is often something that we look for for a list of vaccinations. Uh, pets, dogs uh, over three months require the vaccination certificate or veterinary certificate certifying the country of origin, typically the U.S., as uh, a rabies-free uh, country. Great. That's helpful. Um, and the other big question that loopers always seem to have is about uh, bringing liquor into Canada. Can you just tell us what the regulations are surrounding that? 
Yeah, the limits on pers uh, personal exemptions um, are two bottles of wine, uh, 40 ounces of alcohol, or 1.1 liter bottles, and up to 8.5 liters of beer, which is typically 24 cans or 24 bottles of beer. Okay. Now, it's not illegal to bring more than that. Uh, you can bring more if you like. However, they may be subject to duties and taxes. Okay, and that was my next question because people seem to have a fear of that, and um, they're not going to end up in prison in Canada for having too much liquor. They just may have some uh, some financial burden associated with uh, that. They, they won't end up certainly in prison. Uh, it's just to uh, to ease your uh, your about that there are a number of websites including our own that does have a duty and tax calculator on them so if they have any concerns about goods or being over uh, uh, personal exemption they can use that calculator to determine how much now with Canadian dollar well being where it is it's probably not going to be a, a big issue unless you have large large quantities if you are over uh, 45 bottles of wine, I believe, uh, in Ontario, you will require an import license from the Liquor Control Board of Ontario. However, I'm, I'm guessing that most of your members aren't uh, traveling with those kinds of quantities of wine, and certainly... Probably uh, we not. Would, <laughs> we would encourage okay. them to, to, to try some of the great wines in Ontario and in the St. Lawrence area, the... Uh, the area around Belleville and uh, Sandbanks has some, some great wines as well. And then the other question we get um, regarding consumable items is uh, related to fresh foods like fruits and vegetables. Are there restrictions on bringing them into Canada? Um, there are, and, and the concern is related to any types of pests, and I'm talking about uh, insects uh, mm -hmm. for the most part. It would not be native to Canada that could be introduced to Canada in those goods, um, particularly items that are grown in the soil. Uh, so if they're not completely clean, there could still be pests in those areas. And as your members are from all over the map, uh, they could be introducing, uh, and not on purpose, but just by accident, uh, some pests that are attached to those goods that could uh, endanger flora and fauna in Canada. So that's a that's our, our primary concern is those kinds of pests or other uh, diseases related to the accidental import of those pests. Sure. So for the most and I think part, voters are good to all of the food items that you have, particularly uh, uh, fruits and vegetables. Uh, that you might have with you. Uh, there are places that you can uh, verify what is, because the list is long, uh, for things like potatoes and meat. And again, we're talking about some of those things that are grown in the ground in the soil. Uh, the Canadian Food Inspection Agency's website is a great resource to verify some of those things. But again, if you're not bringing them in large quantities. It should not be a problem, but again, those readily available here in our grocery stores in Canada, so mm -hmm. there's always an option. 
Right. And I think voters are very understanding about those types of regulations because they're very familiar with the damage that an invasive species can do by water. And of course, the same risks apply um, once to things that have been grown in the soil, as you were saying. Um, yeah, one of the, I mean, the big differences for, sorry, you know, phyga mussels and zebra mussels that may be, you know, uh, attached uh, involuntarily to your to your vessels as well. So those are the kinds of things that we're on the on the lookout for. Uh, that we are trying our best to to manage or contain the, the spread of those things. Right, and just I, I think this will be a, a quick topic because it's pretty clear in Canada, but we do have a lot of members who in the U.S. can legally carry a firearm. That is completely not true in Canada, regardless of what your status here is in the U.S. for carrying firearms. Um, I'm assuming that that's correct, um, but any comments on what people should do with those firearms before they enter Canada? Well, our, our primary recommendation is to simply leave your firearms at home. That's the simplest and easiest thing to do. Uh, and we understand that some people are uh, have a challenge doing that. Um, there are other options that you can do. You can um, have that firearm uh, stored uh, at a location in the U.S. prior to your arrival in Canada. And, and if you're able to return and pick it up once you return to the United States, that's certainly one option. Uh, we've also uh, spoken to people who have chosen to um, use uh, a mailbox company or a freight forwarder in the United States to ship that firearm to another location in the U.S., and then they'll be transiting on during their, their trip, and they can pick it up at that location. So there are certainly a few options. We certainly recommend that you don't bring it, and if you if you do, absolutely 100% declare that you have that firearm, uh, because failure to do that can can have some very grave consequences. It could lead to uh, penalties and fines, uh, seizure of your vessel, uh, and possibly even criminal charges. So, uh, again, our warning is, if you're able to leave your firearm. Great advice. Um, another question that we often get, uh, because every time people are crossing borders, we get this question. It's not always in Canada, um, but specific to non-Canadian boaters, how long can you stay in Canada as a visitor? Well, typically, uh, six months is uh, what we mentioned for uh, most travelers. Now, depending on circumstances um, the border services officers who will talk to upon entry have the discretion uh, based on the conversation based on a number of factors to uh, limit that uh, to a shorter period of time uh, based on that uh, that information the, the first and kind of more important aspect of that is you should ensure that you are admissible to Canada, and there are a number of factors that could prevent you from being admissible, um, but six months is typically the uh, length of stay and extensions for that are possible, but we typically ask that they would be renewed through the Immigration, Refugee, and Citizenship Canada Department.
Okay. We're just about out of time, um, but Chris, is there a particular resource you can direct us to for anyone who's been listening but still has questions or specific circumstances that weren't addressed by this discussion today? Well, I think, Kim, you've already uh, spoken about some of the links and resources that you've put on your own website that that uh, will direct your members to the Canada Border Services Agency website, and I can certainly provide some additional ones for the Canadian Food Inspection Agency and Immigration and Refugee Citizenship Canada. Uh, but we also have um, a business information service, the uh, 1-800 number, 1-800-461-9999, and uh, that's a very good resource as well uh, for people who have a, a, a question that maybe they can't find on the website or they just want to speak to a live body and get that question answered. So that's certainly uh, a good resource as well. Excellent. Chris, thank you so much for joining us today. This has been really helpful. Um, I will go ahead and repost those links in the forum um, and set up some place. If, if you've got some additional links, Chris, that you can send my way, we'll make sure we post those on the site um, so that people can find them if they're still planning to cross into Canada this year as well as um, for next year because the, the issue, as I said, comes up perpetually. <laughs> Um, so we will get that information out. Uh, Chris Keeley, Assistant Director of Communications with the Northern Ontario Region of the Canada Border Services Agency. Thank you for your time today and for sharing that information. We appreciate it. To our listeners, thank you, very thank much. you for joining us. Uh, we will be back next week with another episode of Great Loop Radio. Until then, safe cruising. <laughs>